From the Garrison Institute, this is Climate, Mind, and Behavior. I'm Eleanor Bennett. Each episode, we'll explore groundbreaking intersections between climate change, resilience, contemplative practice, and human behavior. Dr. Catherine Hayhoe is an atmospheric scientist and the director of the Climate Science Center at Texas Tech University. As an evangelical Christian and the daughter of missionaries, Dr. Hayhoe resides in the unique space between religion and science. Growing up in Canada, Dr. Hayhoe never knew climate change was controversial. It wasn't until she was a graduate student at the University of Illinois that she encountered doubters. Today, Dr. Hayhoe spends a lot of time trying to convince conservative Christians not only that climate change is real, human-influenced, and a global crisis, but also that it's their duty as members of faith to act. Dr. Hayhoe's work as a public speaker, author, and researcher has garnered her wide public notice. Recently, Time Magazine listed her among the 100 most influential people in 2014. And this August, Dr. Hayhoe and her husband are releasing the second edition of their book, A Climate for Change, Global Warming Facts for Faith-Based Decisions. Dr. Hayhoe spoke at the Union Theological Seminary in New York this spring as part of their 2016 Women of Lecture series. We sat down together to discuss the ways she connects her faith to the global climate movement, as well as her personal journey from a young evangelical Christian to as some have called her the best communicator on climate change of our generation. We scientists often have kind of a stereotype, like we are, you know, kind of cold, unemotional, just the facts, nothing but the facts. What I love about Elaine Eklund's research, she's a colleague of mine who studies sociology at Rice University. Elaine studies scientists. We are her lab rats. And specifically, she studies scientists' spirituality. What she found is something that probably won't surprise most scientists, but it might surprise other people, and that is that many scientists are very spiritual people. Because the more we know about science, we realize that science has its limitations. So in the area of climate change, for example, science can tell us that climate is changing. We just look at the data. Science can tell us why it's changing. We look at all the other hypotheses like natural cycles in the sun and volcanoes, and we know that for the first time in the history of our planet, it is us causing climate change. And science can tell us that depending on the choices we make today and in the future, we will see very different outcomes and even potentially dangerous impacts if we don't change our way. So science can tell us all of that, but science can't tell us what is the right thing to do and what is the motivation for doing that. Each of us make choices that are hopefully informed by facts and data and information, but they come ultimately from what's in our heart, what is most dear to us, what we care about the most, what we believe is right and wrong. And so for about 80% of people in the United States, and for about the same percentage of people around the world, actually more, almost 85% of people around the world, who belong to a specific faith tradition, whether it be Christian, Muslim, Hindu, or other, Many of our values come from our faith. And so I feel that my faith does not supersede science, but it takes all those facts and information and data, and it says, why do I care about this, and what should I be doing with all of this information that we have? Can you recall the moment when you sort of connected climate change and your faith? 
Yes, it wasn't as far back as you might think, because originally I started studying climate change because I knew it was really important. I knew it was urgent. I knew I had the skill set to, to work on it. I figured, hey, we'll fix it soon, so I might as well do what I can, and that was a long time ago when I thought that. But really, connecting my faith to my science came when I started to talk to people about it. Because as a scientist, we kind of feel like it's self-evident. It's like we're a physician. We diagnose the problem in the patient. Well, clearly we need to act on it, but why aren't people acting on it? So when I started to talk to people outside the academic sphere, that was where I realized that I had to help them connect what they felt was important to this issue of climate change. And I, at the same time, had to do it myself. And it wasn't hard because I grew up part of my life in South America. I had friends who lived in very poor and precarious situations. I know how vulnerable people are around the world to the types of natural disasters that climate change is exacerbating today. So for me, it was not a stretch. It was like the connection was there. It was self-evident. It was probably already in my subconscious. But it wasn't until I started recognizing that to talk to people about climate change, we have to connect it to issues they already have in their hearts. I realized that I had to do that to my, for myself explicitly and then be willing to share that with people, which for a scientist, talking about what's in your heart is kind of like pulling down your pants in public. Some of us would rather do that than talk about feelings and emotions. But that is the way we have to connect because we are humans and we certainly have brains, but we act out of our hearts. And my next question is, has it been challenging to balance your religious beliefs and values working within the scientific community and the larger climate movement? The challenge that I've encountered is balancing uh, people who share my religious beliefs, who don't share the agreement with science, balancing that against the need to speak out within the community. I mean, to be perfectly honest, my life would be a lot easier if, like so many other scientists, I just kept my lip buttoned on where I put my rear end on a Sunday, if anywhere. <laughs> so the only reason I decided to tell people what I was as a Christian, was because when I moved to the United States, I'm originally from Canada, when I moved to the United States, I realized that there are many people here in the United States who don't think climate change is real. And the vast majority of those people are conservative politically and are conservative faith-wise also. So here I was just happening to be a climate scientist living in a very conservative part of the United States, Texas, um, attending a church, living in a neighborhood, having friends and colleagues who didn't think climate change is real. I felt like, how can I not speak out? How can I not tell them I am one of you and climate change is real? And let me share with you how I can connect my heart to all the facts and figures and information that science gives us. Um, I remember reading an LA Times article, I think back from 2011, and in the interview, you talked about how your book for evangelicals, A Climate for Change, sells tepidly because Christian bookstores won't stock it. Do you feel public opinion on this is shifting at all? Is the scientific evidence of climate change accepted any more widely within the Christian evangelical world than it was five years ago? Yes, it is shifting. And we're putting out a second edition of our book soon, too. <laughs> and the reason why it's shifting is actually for two reasons. Number one is we are seeing the changes all around us now. Ten years ago, 
we'd be hard pressed as individuals to put our finger in something that is literally happening in our backyards that really mattered, that is changing because of climate change. You know, yes, the trees might be flowering earlier, but does it really matter to us when the peaches come out, you know? If you lived in Alaska, you could, but, you know, 10 years ago, we couldn't if we lived in the lower 48. That is changing. Today, people living all around the country, whether it's on the East Coast or the West Coast, whether it's in California or Texas or Chicago or Minnesota, we can put our finger on something that is happening that matters to us in terms of affecting our health, our safety, our bills, whether it's the increase in flood insurance in the Midwest, whether it's stronger coastal storms along the Atlantic coast, whether it's more intense droughts across the south central region all the way to California, we can put our finger now on something that's changing. Something is not the same. So that is the first reason why people's opinions are changing, because we're starting to witness this change with our own eyes. We might not agree on why it's happening, but we agree now that it is happening. The second thing that's changing is the fact that more and more uh, young people are getting older. <laughs> and the younger we are, there is a very steep age gradient in agreeing on the science. The younger we are, the more likely we are to agree with the science. So when you poll evangelical Christians and white Catholics, who together are the two groups that are at the bottom of agreeing with the science, and you break out their opinions by where people lie on the political spectrum and how old people are, there is a huge difference between young evangelicals and young Catholics and older evangelicals and older Catholics. In fact, they've done polls looking at this and even some evangelical groups have been surprised to find out that, whoa, our growing constituency, all the young ones coming up through the ranks, they're okay with climate change. In fact, they want us to do something about climate change. So yes, things are changing. The only question is, are they changing fast enough? I had the pleasure to interview some YECA Young Evangelicals for Climate Action members last year, and they talked about how prayer is a form of action for them. And I, and I kind of saw what you saw, which is this trend of young people being more interested in climate change within the evangelical community. And that leads me to my next question, which is, do you think it makes sense to connect contemplative practices like prayer to the global climate movement? It does if prayer is a natural form of our life. For those of us who do come from a tradition and a history of prayer, I personally do believe in the power of prayer, especially to change our minds and our attitudes. And at its core, climate change is not a technological problem. Climate change is really not even a political problem. Climate change is a heart problem. We've forgotten where our values lie. We've forgotten what things we really care about. And so from that perspective, I think prayer is really important, both personally in helping us reflect on what is important to us, as well as praying for other people that they in turn would have their hearts and their attitudes changed. I really agree. I really like that. It's a matter of the heart. <laughs> um, what has your experience been with people who are alerted to the full impact of climate change? Well, so often when we ask people what image or picture do you associate with climate change, we get the polar bear on the melting ice cap, right? And for many people, that's not really an image that brings with it a sense of this affects me personally. So when we draw the line, when we connect the dots between our heart, between the values we have, and between things that are happening as a result of climate change, people's reaction is often naturally, what can I do about this? In fact, if I give a presentation, which I often do to audiences that are kind of, you know, doubtful, skeptical about this issue, but they're there, 
but they're just not, not sure. If I give a presentation and when, if at the end of my presentation, the questions I get are, what can I do about this? I know I've succeeded because that's what happens when we connect this issue to our hearts. People throw aside the smoke screens of, oh, well, you know, the science isn't certain or didn't this data record show that. They throw aside the smoke screen of how could God let this happen because we talk about God gave us humans responsibility over this planet. And people go straight to what they should be arguing about and asking about, which is what can we do about this problem? That's great to hear because I feel like my friends are sort of a mix. Some of them are, we're all young. I'm 24. Some of them are, what can I do? How can I start taking action? And others, I think, feel a little despair and grief. Yeah. Well, what we found is, is that when we're overexposed to bad news, you know, the ice caps are melting, the seas are rising, deforestation is happening, we're losing X number of species every, you know, X amount of time. When we're constantly exposed to really bad news, we get depressed, we get anxious, and often as humans, our reaction is just to avoid the issue entirely, to become disengaged. So that's why it is so important to focus on solutions, not just future solutions, but ones that are already happening today, like churches putting solar panels on their roof, or like um, Christian organizations like Arasha that go in and they restore degraded ecosystems, working with local people and also helping with carbon storage and all these amazing things. So learning about solutions, feeling empowered, like Citizens Climate Lobby empowers people to actually plug into the political process. And most of all, acting out of hope rather than fear. That, again, is where faith comes into it. Because for me, my favorite Bible verse has nothing to do with, you know, creation or nature or anything like that. My favorite Bible verse is from Timothy, and it talks about how God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a sound mind to make good decisions. That's the way and the attitude that we need to have to move forwards. Thank you. And I'm wondering, as a woman, a young woman, I don't know, how have you experienced being a woman in both an evangelical Christian world, but also as a scientist? That's a great question. That could be a whole podcast all by itself, because women are definitely a minority in the physical sciences, which is the field that I'm in. Um, women leaders are also a minority, but still there in the evangelical church. There are many, you know, very prominent women leaders, but the majority are men. In fact, Online, there's this um, Tumblr website called Congrats, You Have an All-Male Panel. And there are many examples of scientific panels that were all-male, including the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Wow. But the most striking to me was a panel um, at an evangelical college on the role of women in the church in the 21st century. The panel had about 10 to 15 members, and they were all-male. So it is not an easy road to hoe, either in, in science or in the church, as a woman. But I feel like being a woman gives us a unique voice and a unique perspective on this issue. Me too. So are you optimistic about the state of the planet? So this past year, there have been a number of interviews with climate scientists talking about the existentialist despair of the climate scientist. And it's true. We spend our time looking at all of this data which is beginning to horrify us with how quickly it's changing and how far-reaching the repercussions are. As a community, we scientists are conservative. We're conservative and then we say, oh, well, we'll, we'll just talk about what we know. We won't talk about what we don't know. But what we're seeing is what we didn't necessarily know 5, 10, 15 years ago is starting to be a lot worse than what we even imagined. So it is hard to be hopeful. But again, that hope comes from two things. It comes from engaging with people and realizing that people are doing amazing things already. 
The world is changing. And by plugging into the community rather than sitting in our offices quaking in fear when we open up our new data points, by engaging a community, we feel like there is something we can do about it. And then personally, as a person of faith, my hope also comes from the idea that, yes, ultimately, God is in control. We have responsibility over our planet. We are responsible for making good choices about our planet. God is not going to step in and save us from the consequences of our choices at the last minute. But at the same time, we have a hope. We have a faith. We have the assurance that even though our circumstances may be terrible, we can still be content in the middle of circumstances that at times seem devastating, depressing, and very anxiety-inducing. Um, and is there a particular prayer or practice that helps you kind of cultivate compassion for the planet? I would say just awareness. I mean, it's easy to ignore what we don't see. And it's so easy to just not look at what we're not comfortable with. And so for me, um, compassion for those who are suffering is not hard to generate. I mean, I've lived that myself. Um, I have friends around the world, and I definitely keep in touch with what is happening in other countries and how people are being impacted. For me, to be perfectly honest, the compassion is more difficult when I'm talking to people who share my faith and share much of my lifestyle, but who completely deny the reality of climate change. That is where it is really hard to be compassionate and understanding because I, as a scientist and as a Christian, feel like the connection is so obvious. It's like, how could anybody call themselves a Christian and not be at the forefront of this issue rather than dragging their feet at the end? But in that case, really listening to, understanding, and respecting people is key because I found that people do, at heart, have the right reasons and the motivations. They just haven't connected them. And so understanding where people are coming from and people's genuine desires is really helpful to me to have compassion and to say, yeah, I do understand where you're coming from, but let me let me talk about how where you're coming from directly connects to this huge issue, which I know you'll care about if you connect the dots, rather than having that attitude of, oh, well, if you're a person who doesn't think climate change is real, then you have to be a different person to care about climate change. Let me fix you. We all know that does not work. No, it does not. And my final question is, do you have any advice for a young woman who cares about climate change and wants to make a difference in the world? Um, for anyone, women or not, the best thing we can do is to follow our heart. There is no specific field of study. There is no specific job or sector or position that is like the thing to do. I work with people from every field, from English to economics to engineering. I work with people in government, in nonprofit, in academia, in community organizations, in businesses, in the military. Follow your heart. Do what you love. And wherever you are planted, grow there and help whoever you are surrounded with. Plan for a better future that incorporates a changing climate and that is aimed towards a clean energy economy. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me today, Catherine. Thank you so much. To learn more about the Garrison Institute's Climate, Mind, and Behavior program, visit garrisoninstitute.org, where you can also listen to an archived podcast of this show, join our mailing list, and sign up for our monthly email newsletter, delivering the latest research and programs from around the world that promote resilience and a changing climate right to you. Our theme music this week is composed by Podington Bear. You can find his music on his website, podingtonbear.com.